0: Five million people amidst a war zone are creating a new society based on principles that are dear to the hearts of many radicals in Australia. Welcome to ANIS, the Autonomous Administration of North and East Syria, formerly known as Rojava. This is a ten-part series of conversations with Haval Farat. Aval Tekushin and friends from a civil diplomacy centre in the city of Kwame's Law. These conversations provide insight into how they are organising their society, how they are making decisions, and how they are defending their zone from aggression from some of the most powerful military empires on the planet. We are confident you will find this series exceptionally interesting, but more importantly, it is the type of news we need today in order to ensure that here in Australia, we continue to act up to create that new society based on egalitarian principles
1: in our heart.
0: Welcome to episode six of a a chat, conversation, discussion with a representative of a media liaison community unit in the Autonomous Administration of North and East Syria. Uh, I'd like to welcome all our listeners across Australia. This program is coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne. Tekushin, how are you? I'm great, thanks.
2: Um, Yeah, it's really great to be talking to 3CR again. Um, Really exciting uh, series we've got here.
0: Well, it is. It's interesting because it gives people an in-depth analysis of what's happening there. I mean, occasionally you get a little bit of news of what's happening in that area. Um, Occasionally we hear about the uh, Australian women and children who are widows and children of uh, killed IS fighters up in in the camps up in the northern Iraq section of uh, Syria. But uh, we really... Have nothing, we, nothing, no discussion about the what the revolutionary things you are doing there, where you're turning um, normal life on its head and making profound steps forward to create a new society. Now, you wanted to talk about work today.
2: Yeah, I mean, work is a, a stunningly different experience here um not just for cultural reasons but actually physical structural reasons as well um and uh your 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 statement that you know th- this uh revolution has turned normal life on its head i'd like to just talk about that for a moment before i talk about my experiences in work here cuz they've been uh You know epiphanies of different experiences but um i think here the culture the way people work interact with each other was was the same before the revolution and is viewed as normal life the the western modernist positivism world is viewed as something that has is not normal life um and certainly there's been a revolution here in 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 terms of the role of women but actually the way that, what i'm going to discuss today uh about how we work together this has always been the way here so i, I would suggest that i mean this is the revolutionaries friends telling me this because i'm always very curious you know what was it like before the revolution and almost always the answer oh it was the same <laughs> except about the role of women no that's changed
0: Right, so there's been, what, no change in the way people normally survived in terms of producing things in order to survive?
2: Yeah, well, I wouldn't say no change, but, I mean, Mm. the culture, the way your lived experience emotionally and socially at work Mm. that I'm going to talk about today, I think was the same before the revolution. So uh, you'll you'll know the words productivism, uh, consumerism, um, post-scarcity. So uh, what I'm saying is, I mean, these these obviously these things radically affect working life, working life in a productivist environment, which wants to maximize the amount of work people do. It wants to maximize the efficiency. um, It wants to maximize the output of each individual worker and team. This is a very different concept to here that has, has always been this way, that it isn't productivist. So their houses, for example, rich people's houses and poor people's houses. And I, I know this from great personal experience. Everyone does here because we're always in each other's houses, you know, and there's no barriers between working class and the rich class. People, all, Everyone visits each other here. Those, those, say, Gramscian cultural barriers have not established themselves here. So it's very, very... Um, intertwined the whole society but what, what you'll see in these houses is there's no things i mean the, the richest family i know uh they ha- they have the same a normal amount of rooms the house is a little bit closer to the center but they're just all the rooms are empty no things at all and there's just mats around the edge and lots of people visiting so what what my point here is that it's not consumerists uh people do have a nice car so the economy is not aimed at all at maximizing GDP in order to compete with other nations. That that just entirely isn't a concept here, you know. And so this means that your working life is very different. It is not the culture here either to measure the amount of work someone else does. People do not share work here. There have been times when I've been working 12-hour days, seven days a week uh, on, on really important things, say, for example, to do with the water supply, because I'm an, a, an engineer. And my friends have just been sitting around smoking cigarettes and drinking coffee. Oh, um, and offering encouragement, no, hopefully. Sorry? <laughs> and offering
0: encouragement, hopefully. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, even not. No. Um,
2: <laughs> but the, and it's true of cleaning and cooking which you shared with everyone, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, you, you you get stuck in with that. And there've been times when I've, you know, this is a revolution. there have been times when I've been depressed. Um, And I just haven't done any cooking or cleaning, mm. just let everyone else do it. And no one realizes, it's not just that they measure it and they think, well, maybe he's a bit depressed. We'll let him off for a bit. No, not at all. It's not that it's that they don't, measure human beings so when you're at work people are not measuring you at all they don't have the epistemological level concept of this measuring reality when i say epistemology by the way i want to check because i'm Mm. probably not using it correctly what i mean is the kind of fundamental psychological way that human mind interprets reality so this very low down level of of not measuring things yeah so what effort so,
0: so effort effort and need are shared are they in terms of the effort to survive is a not an individual responsibility but a communal responsibility
2: in a sense yes um i mean it is absolutely culturally assumed that you are have the best needs of the community in your intentions. So there's no, there's no understanding of individual self-interest at work here. It's always assumed that you're trying your best for the community because I mean, the culture is very much a local community and it's the local community that we all want, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, And, but it's always been here, these local communities. So it's deep in the culture. So, You know, people, there's no reciprocity. I always have trouble with that word. Um, If you do something for someone else, there's no personal debt there. They might never see you again. And there's no concept that you would owe them a favor. It's just assumed you're doing it for the good of the community at this very deep psychological level. Mm. So, and and if you're not working, people are... Because it's such a social experience work. I'm going to tell stories soon because this is all kind of a bit abstract. Um, but if if you're not working, people will pay attention to you and try and make sure you're okay. And you might do a different amount. Of course, you do a different amount of work to everyone else in life. There's no problem there because there's no need to maximize Efficient? Oh, it's not. Sorry, it's not the first priority. It is a priority, but it's just not the first. So, one. So,
0: the so, well-being yeah. community. So work doesn't necessarily like you know in, in Western society. The more you accumulate, the more options you have. It's 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 that accumulation of mm-hmm. excess wealth which allows you to uh, exercise those options like travel, fancy cars, whatever. So you're saying mm-hmm. the attitude there is. It's about is it about satisfying uh, essential human needs, and that you allow people are uh, are basically allowed to find their own um, place in society, depending on what their skill levels are, or is it that if you're a member of that community, you'll be looked after that you'll be looked after by that community, irrespective of whether. You work 20 hours a day or you, you um, lie on your back and um, smoke a cigarette?
2: Both of those, yeah. No, those are both right. good observations. Yeah, so let me tell you about my arrival at civil diplomacy because this this mm. touches on a lot of crazy things as well. Um, when I heard about civil diplomacy, and civil diplomacy here is what we're doing now, It's it's... Uh, people talking to people, so it nothing to do with nation states it 's just society connecting with society across different nations well, what we 're doing now and I heard that there were groups of friends setting up and doing this, and there 's lots of them you know just as there 's lots of groups of friends setting up armed groups to carry out security work, and you know they 're popping up everywhere, and the sdf is trying to Um, help coordinate them it's the same with civil diplomacy lots of groups popping up and doing it because it's you know politically it's a very free thing as well and anyway I thought wow that's amazing so I went along and so I was going to ask for a job Um, and of course I'm used to um, interviews in capitalism Mm. where you are assessed for your skill level Uh, specifically to see if you can increase the amount of profit of the business um, and they'll hire you on that basis and and no interest in who you are or what you want, but it's, you know, it's very focused on that. Um, And there's this work ethic in in capitalism as well and and Marxism. So um, I, I got there and because the scale is smaller, this is one of the, uh, structural positivistic facts, which is incredibly important here the scale is smaller so you 've got the u k which is sixty five million people and a government passing laws and controlling that here you 've got the city i 'm in, which is two to three hundred thousand people um very strong neighborhoods with systems of of uh socially constructing social constructivist governance in those communities, and, and you've got NS, um and things like this. Anyway, so you just know a lot of people. I already knew three people that were working at this civil diplomacy section. Uh, didn't even know that a couple of them were working there. And so I arrive, and uh, there's the Reverberry. The Reverberry is the responsible for uh, trying to help that organization be successful in its in its goals Mm. like a boss is it more more of a convener or a coordinator yeah exactly well this Mm. is exactly the thing Mm. technically ideologically and culturally they don't have any authority right now this is this is the first thing a facilitator is another word but it 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 takes the emotion and friendship out of it when you say facilitate right? yeah. I feel it's very technical term. Mm. um this is a friend that is trying to help everyone get on the best they can so that the group is emotionally healthy so that it can do the best it can so i i get into the office and uh i sit down and it was uh the riverberry there and the first thing she said because she knows i'm a foreigner mm. um the first thing she said is you know, Tekushin, this is not my decision, whether you work here or not. You understand that the system is different here. And uh, I didn't not expect this. So I said, you know, and she, and she said, there's uh, several people here that are very excited that you're coming here. So, um, yeah, I don't think it's going to be a problem for you to join the friends here. Um, go and talk to them. Um, and, uh, and, she, and she said, what are you going to be doing? Right, um, and I was like, "This is a this is a formal diplomatic organization," and I, I had a list of things like I, I would like to know the diplomatic protocols. Mm-hmm. You know, what should I say? What shouldn't I say? Uh, who is it that I'm going to be talking to? Where is my job description? Where is my contract that explains our relationship? Uh, and there are no there are no work contracts here. And there are are no job descriptions either. And this is a huge, deep cultural area because here, workers and people have agency. Now, I'll explain what I mean by that word because I quite often get the meanings um, different to (laughs) the sort of formal meanings, although I don't agree with formal meanings or dictionaries. Mm -hmm. So what I mean by agency is is the idea that especially a worker has their own mind and their own moral capacity and uh, their own understanding of philosophy and should be uh, allowed and encouraged to practice all the ideas instead of being controlled technically from above and someone else making those decisions for them. Very sort of like small level, um, I was on the bus and the bus conductor chose not to charge me for my ticket. Mm. Um, he he knew that I was a foreigner, and we had we had a conversation. I was talking to the people around me, and you know we were having this conversation about the revolution. He heard this and joined in. and He said, "Okay, you you travel for free now." In in capitalism, obviously that that bus conductor might have that. Money taken out of their wages. Yeah, he may have an inclination.
0: He he may have an inclination, but he doesn't have the authority to say he's going to travel for three. Now, I understand this. Now, we did talk about the exchange of money and the fact that uh, in certain situations you need money. So, you work in the Civil Diplomacy Centre, and obviously, you do Mm. work in other areas. Do you get paid, or do you actually have? Access to the Commonwealth.
2: Both. Um, well, could you explain, so,
0: explain what happens then? Thanks.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here we must remember that Anis is not a model. It is not a fixed structural model. Mm-hmm. Uh, the structure is meant to be constantly changing according to the whims of the people involved as they create groups. and So it's heterogeneous. It's supposed to be heterogeneous. The work that people do is supposed to be heterogeneous and all different. Um, and this means that actually some organizations will pay and others won't. And some will pay more and some will be pay less. There are no objective, NS-wide laws about how you do this. Um, And this means also that some organizations will say, ah, you know, you've just had a child. We'll give you more money, you know, and others won't. This is subjectivity, one of the ideological foundations of uh, ANIS. And we're not trying to move forward to a final model where we've got society right. It's meant to be changing all the time forever. It has no end. So that said i get paid about a hundred dollars a month which is a kind of average wage here um bear in mind that the costs here are, uh are uh, um very very low as well so actually a hundred dollars a month uh, you can survive on it especially if you're single like i am um it depends also how close into the revolution you are if you're really inside the revolution then you don't pay for anything your accommodation is is organized your food is organized your your petrol and your car is organized you don't see money again really and i was so in that situation could, for yeah. a while as could you well. to
0: explain the concept of close to the revolution
2: yes sure um so close to the revolution means uh, doing very specifically revolutionary work. Civil diplomacy is an NGO. It has private funding and it's it's not funded by the money from the revolution. So it's, 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 in a way, certainly from a funding point of view, it's outside the revolution and doing civil diplomacy. I have done work inside the revolution. And of course, these boundaries are very fuzzy, you know, um, so was, uh, is they it, reach into society.
0: Is it, does that involve providing uh, essential infrastructure and essential services and security, being inside the revolution, or is it some type of uh, theoretical understanding?
2: Uh, both of those. Um, it's certainly a cultural thing. So let me tell you a story of the engineering firm that right. joined recently. So I was called out by one of the friends to go and installed some some accounting software. And uh, it was an engineering firm. And the, the way that the revolution happened and is happening is that friends, and that's with a big F, it's the cadre, it's the revolutionary uh, cadre. They talk to people, they talk to their friends. Now, one of their friends was the owner of a private engineering company. And he his reply was, I love this revolution. I want to be part of it. I want to join. Um, and so he became a cadre as well. And his firm then becomes part of the revolution. What this means is that people turn up and do all the accounting for him because he still interacts with imports, for example, for his engineering firm. Um, it means that all of the staff working there, who have all wanted to be part of the revolution as well, they receive veg boxes every week, and all their food is taken care of. Their accommodation starts being paid, if, if needed, by the revolution as well. So everything they need in life suddenly becomes uh, free. They can start living, in fact, without money. I mean, for more than six months, I didn't see money when I was working in one of these situations. And that also means that other friends and other groups will suddenly start turning up to oh engineering. Can we work together on this? And they can also go to everything else and and, um, get involved like this. And of course, this, this friend to friend, peer to peer spreads virally. Um, And of course the the revolution will approach people for its, basic infrastructure services and try and try to bring people on board, but it's very peer to peer based on friendship, you know, and this is, and of course, yeah, that absolutely is providing infrastructure through these processes. And there are also, cause it's fuzzy on the boundaries of this. There are a lot of people who have some of their things paid, but they're not really entirely joined the revolution, but they're working together with it. So it's all fuzzy as well.
0: So what happens so the people outside uh, this uh, revolutionary um, bubble and I assume this is a significant proportion of the 5 million in the o- autonomous uh, region um, how do they interact with the concept of work is it the same or do they have to work in order to get a, a wage to pay for basic necessities uh,
2: the latter so absolutely I mean there's a there's a free market here Right, so you've got you've, um,
0: you've got the cod you've got the revolutionary bubble, and then you've got a free market outside that bubble.
2: Yeah, it's a bubble. I, I like the uh, idea that it's a bubble, but the bubble mm. has fuzzy edges yeah. and is very welcoming. You know, it's not a, it's absolutely yeah. not a class right. uh, that is impenetrable. Not at all. It really, really wants people to make their own decisions about how they work. It's very favorable of the free market and it wants to help people. You know, Um, you'll understand, of course, the subject object narrative. Mm. Um, And yet, of course, people generally in society are the subject here. And actually all our hope lies with them, that they will create, develop and protect this ideology. It's not, it's not the revolution that does that. And when you go to the talks from the Revolutionary Party, the only thing they say, you know, they come they come into communities and what they say repeatedly is, uh, we're not here to tell you what to do. We're not here to solve your problems. We've got resources that you can take, but they belong to you. It's, it's up to you to build this society. And this is... Treating
0: people as the subject, you know. So, so, do you do you hope or plan or wish the bubble gets bigger and bigger and bigger and actually incorporates more and more people in that zone? Is that the way it works? Do I wish that, or is that the um, aim? Is that the aim? Is that the aim of having this
2: loose? Wow, is that the aim?
0: <laughs> I mean, because because if you got if you got if you got this bubble and then you've got people outside the bubble, and you've got the fuzzy edges, obviously. Now, those outside the bubble, you're saying, is it a laissez-faire capitalist free market or is it a free market with some type of social security net for people?
2: If you look at it legally, Mm -hmm. then it is completely free market. I mean, it's extremely laissez-faire. I mean, like, there's virtually no tax whatsoever and there's no regulations around business at all. But culturally... It's extremely different, of course. There is an enormous number of small businesses. You can accumulate capital here. Some shops get bigger and then have several stores. There's no attempt by the revolution to control that because, again, the people are the subject. They and the the revolution thinks that this should be controlled by social construction and morality, not by law. And I would suggest that the times in history that it has been attempted to be controlled by law haven't worked, but, but,
0: but, um, but, in terms of but do people have
2: outside that
0: those bubbles or bubble, do they actually have access to basic necessities, or are there people in the autonomous administration that don't have access to basic necessities? Because
2: yeah, this is a great question. Yeah, so, I mean, this touches on the concepts of welfare state. It, it touches on the concept of people who, well, who, traditionally it would be said have fallen through the cracks, not um, there are it? people on the street here. Yeah. There are there are kids moving amongst the traffic begging. Mm. Um, there is no nationwide objective bureaucratic system for providing aid to people who are in a very poor situation. This is where we touch on subjective, objective again. What there is, is a massive, cultural, very positive and encouraging and post-scarcity attitude to the people building organisations to look after each other. So, uh, I think it was about six months ago, I, I went into the centre, the Kamishlo Soup, and we were going to pay for a, a company there that had built the website for civil diplomacy. And we got in, inside, and there were programmers sitting around in an air-conditioned room, and the riverberry was sitting with us. And he. You know, you know immediately that this is an amazing person. He yeah? is so sweet. And it turned out that actually what that organization was doing with funding from The Friends, um, it was actually looking for, working with other organizations to look for orphans, children that have lost parents and family in, in the wars here. Mm. Um, and it was teaching them to program computers, now, this is the, the welfare state. It's extremely strong cultural sense of wanting to look after the community. And that's an organizational example. The cultural direct example is that, of course, if you're in a local community, they will pay huge cultural attention coming round your house all the time uh, to make sure you have what you need and, uh, and money won't be so important there because people don't have so much consumerism, you know, um, and people, when people eat, there's just huge plates of food and loads of other people turn up. So the stress and strain on actually feeding the community is very different concepts. And because there's this no psychological concept of reciprocity, you, you can just go and eat around someone else's house all the time and there's never, that's not ever going to be measured, generally. Mm. you know. Um, so the whole thing's different. So, so there's
0: no concept outside the bubble of a, a, a common storehouse economy running parallel with the um, free market to look after, to uh, uh, satisfy people's basic needs. You're relying on philanthropy, well, basically. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, that did happen once. So <clears throat> obviously the friends are thinking about this. So what happened was, I, I don't think I've told this story before, but um, tell me if I have. No, no, so, you haven't. You haven't. Go. So what was happening was um, we have an embargo here. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of smugglers who were bringing basic goods, basic foods, basic parts, and things like this across the border and uh, making a lot of money out of the war and out of the struggle and out of the embargo. And they were developing into a class, a class in the Gramscian sense as much as the Marxist sense, you know, mm. that was starting to become very powerful, uh, dangerously powerful, powerful enough to start affecting the politics in their favour, for example. So whilst the revolution regards it as... The people's job to deal with these problems, it was very clear that the people couldn't. And that it was a very serious situation for society if this smuggling economic class became any more powerful. So the friends did something that they very rarely do, which was they intervened. Now, they certainly have the power to intervene militarily or with the police and simply um, control these people. But that's not their style. You know, they they don't want to intervene, and they certainly don't want to intervene in their own society militarily. So what they did was start to talk to as many people as possible in the society to start making the way for them to actually do an economic intervention which would solve it. Now, this is an example of smaller scale socially and emotionally intelligent interaction with the people. The primary thing that they did here is to imagine the emotions of the people when the friends came and imposed something on them, you know, a solution. This this, this is the style of governance. This is, you know, an all-important thing. So what they did was that they started bringing in goods themselves through their own routes, and they set up extremely low-cost, supermarkets in every city, which provide all the basic foodstuffs that the smuggling class was trying to provide and essentially undercut them yeah. um, and solve the problem. It's a little bit like de- deregulating uh, drugs, same concept.
0: You, 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 remove, <laughs> you, you, remove, you remove the uh, economic imperative and uh, it's a little bit like prohibition. You remove prohibition and you know you can't make a buck out of it anymore so it's not worth your while. Yeah, Yeah,
2: I haven't done that here yet. I'm looking forward to it.
0: You're listening to a 10-part series with the Civil Diplomacy Unit of the Autonomous Administration of North and East Syria. We're having a conversation with Tekeson, who is uh, a member of the Civil Diplomacy Unit. This is part of the FreeCR Acting Up series. My name's Joseph Toscano, and the producer of this program is Kelly Whitworth. Now, let's go back to work. Now, say I'm I'm, I'm somebody there, and uh, I've uh, finished my education, and we'll talk about that another day, and uh, I'm looking for work. What happens? What do I do? How do I go about this? Maybe you want to train in a specific area.
2: Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, here, it's all about who you know, which is funny, because if it's all about who you know in capitalism, that's viewed as a bad thing. That's right. But here, it's all of yeah, <laughs> and here as well, it's populism, it's extreme populism, and again, in, in capitalism, that's viewed as a bad thing. But here, it's it's the way governance is done. The, the delegates do whatever the people are talking about, and that's the only thing they do. You know, um, so there is all these concepts that are turned on their on their head here. So, I mean, if you get here from abroad, that's very different to growing up here in a community. If you grow up here in a community, you know everyone. If you say, oh, I want to start work or I want to change work, everyone around you, because people have time for each other, because it's not productivist, they will immediately get on their phones, they will ring everyone they know. And everyone they ring will pay huge attention and be very happy that they can help someone And they will ring everyone as well and you'll have work in in minutes you know um and of course because it's non-productivist if you want to work for civil diplomacy and there's a lot of people working there already that's no problem it's 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 not important that the organization is maximized for its optimal productivity level based on the amount of employees no if you want to work there, people get very excited that you want to work there because in general people really love each other here so they get excited about these things.
0: Mm. You don't get the situation, say like in the Middle Ages where you know, a trade was passed on from father to son, from father to son or daughter and it just stayed in that family and everybody else was excluded from acquiring those skills?
2: Yeah, we're getting close to... Um, was it two episodes ago when we touched on the concept of expert?
0: Yes, I was going to ask about, really, about, about yeah. skill levels in a minute uh, regarding work and skill levels and how, that's, um, how
2: they get around that concept. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, we have universities here, and I don't know whether you've seen the, the pictures going around the web at the moment, but Kobani University and Rojava University, the four-year course students have all just graduated and so it's really exciting to see. And they're coming out with engineering skills, uh, literature knowledge, uh, language knowledge. I mean, there's a whole range of subjects that were covered. Um, and I actually went to the Rojava University graduation. There are some students there that have been um, helping with their English. Mm-hmm. And it was a very beautiful time. And it's so hopeful when you see these things. I mean, especially school children and university graduates are really... Gives you a sense that society is staying here. You know, it's achieving these things. So, I mean, the, these are people coming out with expertise, right? So, so there are, um, so there are
0: courses that people do, um, or apprenticeships, or obviously in the university you do a course, and you come out with a specific, yeah, yeah. yeah right, okay. And yeah, I mean, it's just like other universities, right? So, is there some type of structure where skills are quantified in terms of what people can and can and cannot do in work
2: so there's there's no objective nationwide set of rules mm-hmm.
0: but are there, obviously there, not- there are local set of rules are there say so in your community Say, <laughs> so could i set up as a as a surgeon and start doing surgery Interesting question. <laughs> I think... Wow. Well, I'm sure people would say, I wouldn't change it with that like <laughs> He doesn't you know what do he's that, doing. Please. Just, yeah. <laughs> firstly, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, I mean, you know.
2: I think what would happen is that you would... Because you can't do it by yourself, of course. you To set up a hospital with you being a surgeon in it would require a lot of people to be involved. No, oh, Not many. Not many. I've, I've,
0: I've been a medical practitioner for over four decades. It doesn't take much. Somebody to give anaesthetics, wow. somebody to cut you open and somebody to look after you. <laughs> now, it just interests me the fact that here in the West, well, I'm talking about Australia, we have a skill level, which is mm. is examined before you're actually able to, you're unleashed on the unwitting public. And I'm just wondering if there are, is there, <laughs> if there are associations, you know, that um, maybe uh, attempt to maintain a, a skill level.
2: Yeah. So there's no objective association, None. as far as I right, know, right. but there are subjective community ones. So if someone did try to do that, mm. people would say, "Wait a minute." You don't have those skills. It's not morally reasonable that you do that. You can't learn while you're doing it, and they would stop them, or at least they would not provide access to the funding and things like this. Right, okay. Now, so, so there are an internal, well, internal
0: mechanism by which you deal with the problem of um, people not having expertise to do various things which can be harmful to individuals or a community.
2: Exactly. Right. There may well be rem- – remember that – the. The actual legal framework is almost entirely the legal framework inherited from the Syrian regime. Oh, I didn't...
0: Um,
2: So there may well actually be rules that I don't know about requiring university degrees for certain occupations. I don't know, I assume there would be. I do know.
0: I assume there would be the same
2: legal framework. Well, the thing is that the legal framework is is not so important here um people don't the laws are regarded as useful guides about things but you know for example you look at the traffic uh no one pays any attention to the laws at all um you look at uh yeah i mean the the laws around work and stuff they probably do require a contact a, a contract but the people have the socially constructed concept that they don't want that. So it doesn't happen. So the laws don't have power here. And remember the, the Asaish who were the, I don't want to say equivalent of police because they're so culturally and politically different, but these are the people that solve problems in local society. Let's say the the police in, in nation state societies solve problems as well. Um, But the Asaish here, you know, if, if, Anis said, we want you to arrest every surgeon who doesn't have 10-year uh, university research, and we want you to go and arrest them all now, mm. the SAI would say, no, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. <laughs> or they might say we are going to do that, but right. it would depend on how the socially constructed attitude towards experts and surgeons was in society. It might be, if some people had died in surgery, that the society was very upset about that, and then ANES would understand that, and they would say, okay, we need to send the acaïs to every single private hospital and uh, military hospital in, in the nation, to respect the fact that the people have now become upset about this, and they want something done, um, and then you know, you know, rules going, and this is you know, this is what happened in terms of the role of women. Uh, they did uh, demand that in all positions of leadership, and there is a leadership hierarchy here, that in all positions of leadership there, there is at least one woman, and the Asaish would get involved in that and, you know, go into places and say, I'm sorry, you don't have a woman involved here. You you, you can't do this now, you know. Um, but what I'm saying is this comes from the socially constructed reality of the society, which is smaller scale, and always talking to each other all the time. So much that social construction is the power um, over, over the um, supposed lawmaking bodies. Did that make any sense?
0: Yeah, it does. I'm just... I'm just okay. – <laughs> no, that no, makes sense. Look, obviously there are subjective and, and uh, what we call unwritten laws and then there's the the laws that the state tries to impose on communities mm. and, and individuals and, and in, in most societies, you know, people fudge the edges constantly. But I, yeah. I, I'm interested in the concept as far as work is concerned. Could I Could I employ, say, 20 people and give them a dollar a day? You could, yes. And uh, would I be a respected member of the community, just like our mega corporate
2: stars in Australia? <laughs> um, here, you would not no. So, um, so how would you I deal? Think, how yeah.
0: how, how, would, how would that community deal with that? Because obviously, that's
2: exploitation. I mean, yeah, remember, this is a post scarcity. Yeah. So, it's assumed that everyone can reasonably survive without doing too much work right it's assumed that technology can provide so much for us and it does i mean despite the unbelievable uh, aggression that we're facing here we're still with the technology we're still able to drill 100 meters down to make a well we're still able to um produce an enormous amount of things with a very small amount of work. So this, what this brings in is a huge amount of flexibility in society and economy. So if you don't want to work for $1, you don't necessarily need to. And if you want to work somewhere else, you will almost definitely just get the job Mm. because of the massive, uh, what's it called philosophically slack? I think is it theories of slack. I I can't remember, Mm. but just massive flexibility in society. Now, uh, There are capitalists here. There are people trying to make profit out of the economy. And, of course, the revolution doesn't like this. Um, And they seek ways to encourage the people to solve it. Um, We must also remember that um, this is coming from North Syrian society. Here, everybody was poor. You know, there wasn't this um, uh, ruling, massive, rich leisure class. And it was everyone was poor. So (laughs) um, as it as it moves into this new reality about maybe educated experts, about people who are accumulating wealth, the people together are socially constructing their responses to that. If you are rich, then why are you here? Because as you just pointed out, the communities around you will not look upon that favorably. So the social pressure here will be enormous. Unlike capitalists, you know, where if you've made a lot of money, somehow that's impressive. Here, it's what are you doing? And my experience with people talking about that is that if someone's got a lot of money, they immediately move into apologizing about it and immediately talk about how they're distributing it. And, you know, they're really at pains to say, you know, I'm not, I'm not a bad person. I'm, it's just coming my way. And I'm, you know, and this is what they do. Cause I mean, the only, there is only happiness here. Um, happiness of community. You know, you can't, I mean, Fort is just this flat wasteland. The, you can't even drive a Ferrari here cause there's too many holes in the road. <laughs> um, The only real reason for being there, and it is a huge happy, I mean, people are crazy happy here, is just Mm -hmm. the enormous love of community that's here. So if you you go against that and then you start walking through the community, everybody knows you. Everybody knows everything you do. And everybody is going to be talking to you. And they won't be aggressive towards you because you're a community member. There is limitless love and everyone must go forward together, this really deep cultural way of solving things. But, you know, if there is people on the streets in the community and and you're rich, of course people are going to have a a criticism about that. I guess just to
0: move in another direction, now you have talked about importing uh, products into the zone and importing raw materials. Um. Could the autonomous region um, survive without those links? Are you self-sufficient in terms of economically or can you be starved into submission?
2: Uh, We are absolutely not Mm -hmm. self-sufficient. So there's a few stories there. Um, So... The area of Anis was very horribly oppressed by the Syrian regime for racist reasons against the Kurdish communities here. And they passed a law where you would be arrested by the regime if you grew anything except wheat. So uh, outside my window now is, as far as the horizon, is endless wheat fields. It's the only thing that's grown here. Um, obviously, there is an enormous amount of oil under the ground as well so this is a major economy here um so we are entirely not self-sufficient now because this is a non-nation state system what the what the friends do is and they do it heterogeneously they talk to their farmer friends um, and uh, i know some people that have done this um they go to the farmers and they say and they say look can you grow something else please you know and there's a whole range of responses to that. Sometimes the farmer maybe can't be bothered. Wheat is actually a very easy crop to grow. You don't have to do much work to grow it. I'm told. Um, if sometimes water, it, you
0: need enough water. That's the only dilemma with
2: wheat. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, sometimes they don't realise that anything else can be grown. I was mm. told. This is this. All of these stories are actually almost all from my revolutionary education where people who'd been in the revolution for decades, you know, um, tell all these stories. So this is where this is coming from, by the way. Um, you know, there was a lot of farmers that didn't realize trees could grow in North Syria. (laughs) And this is why it was difficult to encourage them to plant them. Um, and so there's a whole range of, and, and plus there's the response of, you know, yeah, let's, let's get more self-sufficient. Can I join the revolution and become a revolutionary farmer? And let's, what can I grow? Let's, let's do this. You know, so there's a whole range of um, responses um, and friends keep going out with exactly what you've been talking around in, about in mind. Because obviously self-sufficiency mm. would be amazing, um, but not just self-sufficiency in farming as well. Um self-sufficiency in spare parts. We don't have uh, water and electricity infrastructure here. And only two weeks ago, uh, a gun battle broke out in a village only just down the road from me um, because they were fighting over the water pump. Mm. Um, And uh, one person died, 16 were injured. Um, And they, you know, the people focused on the revolution blaming them, uh, which, okay, when your family doesn't have water, I understand that you do very desperate things. And, I, you know, that's, that's a reason. Um, but, yeah, they focus on, on the friends as um, being uh, guilty of mismanaging, you know. Um, and, this, and in this village here, for three weeks, I haven't had water. Mm. Um, and there's been no problems in this village, actually. Um, the water pump had to go to the main city to be fixed. Now, if we could... Uh, did you hear that? Yes, we did. Okay, don't worry about that. Um, it's oh. just the soldiers training next door. I'm not being attacked or anything. <laughs>
0: That's, okay. Um, right. <laughs> A little, little bit of
2: colour and <laughs> action. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, no, the village is very quiet here. It's a right. very good village. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, we're not self-sufficient, definitely, in concepts like producing metal. Um, and but Aleppo, one of the one of the sad things is that Aleppo was a huge industrial centre. This is, I mean, you've seen pictures of Aleppo. Undoubtedly, it was carpet bombed yes, um, that's during the right. war. Yes, I mean it's terrible. Everything was reduced to rubble. That was a huge industrial centre. It could have produced and was producing many of the things that the region needs, you know. So, um, no, we're not at all self-sufficient and we import a huge amounts of stuff. And, of course, this is a free market import. So, right. you know, it's, it's business to business and mm. community to community importing things across the border. Right. Laissez-faire.
0: All right, so... You think there's a, a future now for uh, the children? You said uh, there's a future as far as education is concerned, a future as far as employment is concerned. And, and what, you've been around, what, for about a decade now, the administration there?
2: Yeah, just over a decade. Yeah. 2011, yeah. That the revolution started, yeah. Right, right.
0: Well, that's uh, fascinating. Look, um, I'd like to thank you for... Uh, Spending some time talking to us, trying to explain something which is very can be very hard for people to grasp who are not in the situation uh, you 're in it can be a, a very very uh, difficult concepts for people to grasp, especially if you come from a different culture and a you know a um, mm. private investment for private profit background and the fascinating thing is how. Various models coexist in the uh, autonomous administration in in North and East Syria. It's not a matter of uh, attempting to enforce a particular vision on people, which we've seen spectacularly fail over the centuries, but um,
3: Mm.
0: trying to organically uh, grow. And as we talked about coexistence between the old and the new and the emerging and And the important point you made, obviously, things are in flux. They change constantly to uh, satisfy the particular situation. And you've got the mechanism by which that can occur. So that's a a very exciting um, prospect. Have you got any um, ideas what you'd like to discuss or talk about next week?
2: There's so many possibilities. I mean, um, we haven't discussed the whole feminist angle of course which right. is the fundamental basis yeah. at least i don't remember us discussing anyway this is this is um genealogy yeah. which is um the basic theory behind this ideology
0: mm. yes are you able to bring in uh, somebody else into the discussion regarding
2: uh, genealogy? i would love i would love to mm. um i have been trying now, you, is no, no rush no
0: rush we're not <laughs> forcing you it doesn't have to be next week, but if you if you can, I think that'd be that'd be great. I think it'd be um, it'd be a uh, it'd be a useful discussion to get a little bit of. A, I know people are busy; they're busy surviving, yeah. they're busy busy protecting what they've got, and uh, it's it's a very difficult situation you find yourself in. And uh, we're very appreciative of the ability to uh, speak to you on a regular basis. So you think about what you want to speak about next week, and I think. The more we explain about what's happening in the autonomous administration of North and East Syria, and the work of the, our civil diplomacy unit that you're involved in, I think the more people have an understanding of a, a, a different type of way that we as human beings can organise our lives. And I like this concept that you don't have to work seventy hours a week in order to survive. So yeah. I like that very much. The three the three a hour video. day the, the three hour day has arrived. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, thank you very much, and uh, thank you. Now we look forward to talk to you at the same time next week. Wonderful, look forward to
1: it.
3: You've been listening to a three CR podcast